Good morning. How you doing? The Bible says in Hebrews 12 this. Let us run with perseverance. That means without quitting, without giving up. The race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How many of you have ever been in a race? You ever ran a race? Okay. You know, when I was a little guy, I'm kind of looking around, I, about Caleb's age. When I was a little guy, I was in a race. It was called a potato race. You know what we had to do? We stood over here by a pile of potatoes. I don't know how many there were. And we had to pick up a potato, run to a basket, drop the potato in the basket, and run back, get another potato, and run, put it in the basket, and it, until all the potatoes were in the basket. And I got a blue ribbon in one first place. That was pretty cool. I had that ribbon a long time until we went over to Spain, and then there were a lot of things that got burned in a house fire. But, you know, that was pretty cool, and I kept that around, and it was, it was really neat. Now, how many of you ever won an award for... Or something, academics or whatever. Okay, good. Very good. And you know, it's important to do our very best, whatever it is. And our life in the Bible is compared to a race. And you know, our race that we run isn't one of these 100-yard dashes. It's more of a, I see you, buddy, it's more of a marathon because it goes on for a while. Now, I want you to look at something here. See these different awards? This is called Excellence Award, okay? And you get the Excellence Award for doing a certain number of books, right? Two books in Awana. And then there's the Challenge Award. And what do you get this for, hon? Three books. Three books. And then there's the one that, that Aunt Hope really wanted because she likes the bubbles. You see, This is called the Timothy Award. And what do you get this for, hon? Four books. So, you know, I have a, a medal at home because uh, when I was in the Army, our, our softball team won the championship in Europe. And that's pretty cool to have. But, you know... It's nothing like this. Nothing like this. When we hide God's word in our hearts, that is something that will last, not just for this life, but for eternity. Here, I'll turn it that way so there'll be more bubbles, okay? So, what I want to remind us all of is this, that our life, your life, even though you may be little, or some of you may be a little older, our life is like a race. And we can run without quitting. Now, I'm going to tell you a true story as we finish. Are you familiar with these races? Some of you might be. They call them four-man relays. Well, uh, you know, a, a guy runs around the track, and I'm not sure what that is. might be two, 220 meters. I'm not sure. But a guy runs around the track, and he comes around, and he hands off the baton to the next guy. Isn't that pretty? And, okay, I'll turn around. And so uh, one guy runs around, 
and hands off the baton. The next guy runs and hands off the baton. And when all four guys have run around, they win the race. Well, here, this is a true story. These, this four-man uh, team was running, and the third guy started running, and his teammates were watching him, and he's running around the track, and you know what he did? He stopped and sat down. He just stopped and sat down. Good, thank you. And so, you know what? The other, his other teammates are thinking, what's the matter? What happened? He hurt himself or something. So, of course, another team won, and they went over to him, and this is what they said. What happened? Did you hurt yourself? Why, you, why did you stop running? And this is what he said. I just didn't feel like running anymore. Whoa. Well, you know, he let down the other three guys. But, you know, when we quit in life, you know, I don't care anymore about God. I don't care about church. I don't care about anything. And we do that. You know, we hurt our relationship with God. And we hurt our relationship with a lot of people. So, you know, what we as adults need to covenant? We need to covenant to pray for each other and to pray for these kids. That we all will keep going and that we won't quit. Don't you think that would be a good prayer? Pray for each other and pray for our kids? Well, let's do that. Our Father, we thank you so very much for the privilege of being in the race of life with you. And we know that uh, Paul was a great example for us. He said he would never quit. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us here, whether young or old, to continue to press on, to continue to run, and never just to sit down and say, I'm done, I'm done with this. Help us to be faithful to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks for turning this over for me, man. Now, oh, this one does have stuff, doesn't it? Oh, cool, they all do, yeah. I want you one. Well, honey, I'm going to give these back to Aunt Hope, okay? See, I didn't realize this. These all, these all have different pretty things in them, okay? When we were in um, Syracuse, you did four books, right? And uh, she got these awards. She was really working for this one because she likes the bubbles. You know, I just would like to uh, express appreciation to the members of our praise team. You know, these guys are up here week after week after week, and we appreciate how you lead us to the Lord and worship as a church family. And for the guys in the sound booth, we appreciate all you do each week. Appreciate it very much. Those of you who teach our Sunday school classes, our kids, you're greatly appreciated, you're valued, and there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes as well, and you're all appreciated, and we thank you very much. I invite you to open your Bibles with me, or 
turn on your uh, electronic devices and uh, look with me in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And there is an insert in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with that and have it at your availability. We are going through Paul's letter to the Philippian believers, and we're calling it Turning Toward Joy, Discovering a Joy That Circumstances Cannot Change. In verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1, we looked at the joy of community, and that talks about our relationship with one another as a church family, as believers in Christ, and the joy that that brings. Now we're going to move into verses 12 through 26, and we're going to begin to look this Sunday at the joy of adversity. And we'll only go through verse 18 today. Lord willing, next week we'll pick up 19 through 26. But at this time, I'd like to read Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers, and he says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. It was the bottom of the sixth inning. The Montreal Expo's greatest hitter of that time, Tim Raines, was coming to the plate. The pitcher looked in at the catcher, got the sign, and before his wind-up and throwing home, He looked at the runner on first, and then he threw the ball to the catcher at home plate, and a loud crack went through the entire stadium. And it was the last time that this man would ever throw a ball in the major leagues. A bone in Dave Dravecki's arm had snapped in two, and he grabbed his arm and and tumbled to the ground, And while his baseball career was over, his adversity had just begun. After several examinations, the doctors told him that his pitching arm would have to be amputated up at the shoulder in order to prevent the spread of any further cancer. Now, Dave Dravecki was in the prime of his career and under normal circumstances would have been expected to play several more years in the major leagues. But now it was over. Several weeks after surgery, Dave Dravecki went back to his home stadium in San Diego, California, to say thanks to his many fans for their support during his time of adversity. And as he had done and would do on many occasions, 
He gave glory to God and recognized the fact that God was in control of every detail of his life, including this uh, injury that not only uh, ended his career, but could have ended his life. And he gave glory to God. The very next day, the uh, San Diego Union, the newspaper in San Diego, reported that he had received over 700 invitations to speak and share his testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And he has done that ever since. You know, God often has hidden purposes in the adversity that he allows in our lives. And what we need to understand is that nothing happens by chance. We aren't unlucky. Uh, Really, I think the word lucky and unlucky is probably a word that as believers we should try to eliminate from our vocabulary because nothing happens in our lives by good luck or bad luck. It is all from the sovereign hand of God. And Dave Dravecki understood this. And he gives testimony to this even today. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John while he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. And I'm not going to go into detail about the Isle of Patmos. Let's just say it was a nasty place. It was a barren rock in the middle of water. And that's where he was. And that's where his life ended. And that's when he wrote the book of the Revelation. It was in prison that John Bunyan wrote what later became, was often, has often been referred to as his immortal book, Pilgrim's Progress. Charles Colson, the famed Watergate conspirator, concluded his book, Loving God, with this analogy. He writes, My lowest days as a Christian, and there were low ones, in prison, have been more fulfilling and rewarding than all the days of glory in the White House. Now, several letters in the New Testament uh, have been referred to, and uh, we often hear them referred to as prison epistles. Peter, or Paul, pardon me, wrote these letters, including the letter to the Philippians while he was incarcerated. Now, in verse 12, Paul refers to his circumstances, uh, which is at the beginning of this passage, which I read. For two years, he had been a prisoner in Caesarea, and now he was a prisoner in Rome. Although Paul does not itemize or delineate or write out all the circumstances he refers to, Luke does write a detailed description of them in Acts chapters 20 through 28. And Paul himself uh, summarizes some of these circumstances as he refers to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'd just like to read this for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, Paul writes this. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, that's with a whip, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep, I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, 
dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's Paul. That is some, these are some of the circumstances that he experienced in his life. How many of us, by the raising of our hands, have gone through these things? Not a one of us. We've had some adversity. We all have had adversity in our lives. Every one of us, without exception. And I'm not minimizing those times of adversity. Those circumstances that we've experienced. But I don't think any of us has been through the infinitesimal part of what Paul went through. And yet, he's writing here to the Philippians a letter which the entire focus of it is joy. What an example for us, don't you think? As he wrote about his circumstances to his friends in Philippi, Paul clearly had the right attitude toward his troubles. His upbeat explanation has been a source of great encouragement to believers over the years. It was a great source of encouragement to the Philippian believers and has been a great source of encouragement to many people over the years. Now, in these verses that I read earlier in Philippians uh, 1, 12 through 26, which we'll only look at some of them today, there are seven proven principles that will encourage us when we go through adversity. Seven proven principles that will encourage us as we face difficulties and trouble. We'll look at four of them today. First of all, adversity promotes the progress of the gospel. Notice what Paul writes in verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul does not write here about his personal discomfort. We don't know anything about this, this prison in which he finds himself. We will find out more about that in a moment here. But there were times that he was in very, very nasty, nasty situations. And yet he doesn't talk about that. He talks about how the gospel has advanced because of the fact that he is in prison. Now, Paul uses the word progress, and the word progress is a military term used by engineers who would prepare a road for the king or for the emperor or for other leading dignitaries to be able to go down the road without rocks or trees or other things being an obstacle. Uh, one of the, the movies that Hope and I like the best, we, we like World War II movies. And, and one of the movies that we like the best is one uh, called The Longest Day. And it's about the Normandy invasion and so on and so forth. John Wayne's in it, so you know it's got to be good. And, but, you know, it, one part of it shows that they're trying to storm the beach and they're trying to get up to the bunkers where the Germans are firing on their people. You know what really helped them be able to get through that? Engineers. Engineers pulled off some things there 
that with using long pipes, with explosives in the pipes, they, they were able to break through those who were mowing down their fellow soldiers, and they were able to break through. That's the whole term here. That's the idea of the progress. The progress of the gospel. They were able to break through the obstacles. They were able to break through what normally would hold them back and able to move ahead so that the gospel could be proclamated. One writer expressed it this way. As Paul looks back over these events, he stresses the masses of dark threads that the recent years had woven into the pattern of his life. The animosities and bodily pains, the lies, misrepresentations and deceitfulness, the miscarriage of justice, the chains, the mental turmoil of appealing to Caesar against his own people, the nearness of death, the triumph of wickedness, and the continued suppression of the truth. He invites us to take these things and look them in the face, for it is, in, it is these things which have resulted, contrary to what their surface appearance might have suggested, in the progress of the gospel. And that is what Paul rejoices in. He does not lament the fact that he is in a prison. He rejoices in that his circumstances have turned out for the progress of the gospel. Who would have imagined that Dave Jovecki, breaking his arm, having his arm amputated up to his shoulder because of cancer, would have had the opportunities that he has had to share the gospel of Christ? But the next day, after talking to his fans in San Diego, the next day, 700 invitations to share Christ. So his adversity resulted in the progress of the gospel. And how important it is for us to see that. That adversity that we may face, and it can come in many forms, adversity that we may face can result in the progress of the gospel if we respond to it in the proper fashion. And we see that Paul does. And he's a great example to follow. So, adversity promotes the progress of the gospel. Secondly, adversity provides opportunities for witness. Notice verse 13. He says, My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. When Paul speaks of his imprisonment becoming well-known through the whole Praetorian Guard, uh, that's just a fancy word for crack Roman troops. These were the elite. These were the best of the Roman army. They got paid the best. They, they had the most important responsibilities, one of which was to guard prisoners who were waiting for an audience with Caesar. And so, since Paul was waiting for an audience with Caesar, the Praetorian guard were responsible for guarding Paul. Well, here's an interesting thing. These guards would have been exposed to Paul's testimony as he shared it with them personally and as he listened to him share it with others. Now, do, you, do you think Paul would have talked about Christ? What do you think? Oh, yeah. Paul would have talked about Christ. And he did. 
And I was reading about this, and, and this is, this is pretty, pretty interesting. This is pretty neat. Um, Paul would, well, the changing of the guard would have taken place about every six hours. So Paul would have had uh, been chained to or with one of the Praetorian guard, four different, four different soldiers, four times a day. Now, you, we we think about how long he was imprisoned, and how often he had a changing of the guard, which of course could have been the same people from time to time, of course. But over a two-year period, Paul would have had opportunity to share the gospel about 3,000 times with potentially 3,000 different people. Wow, pretty good, huh? And he did. And he did because he writes here, and he mentions here that his... The gospel has spread throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, and notice what he says there, and to everyone else. (laughs) So, not only were these soldiers to whom he was chained at times, listening and hearing him share with others, but we see in Philippians 4.22, you don't need to turn there, but in Philippians 4.22, he refers to the saints of Caesar's household. So, there were others, servants, other soldiers and people, dignitaries in high places of government during the Roman Empire who heard Paul share Christ. And so he was thankful for the spread and progress of the gospel. And notice what he says here. uh, How God uses his testimony. And we see that in Philippians 1.13 and connected with Acts 28, you don't need to turn there, but I'd like to read something from Acts 28, which tells a little bit more about his imprisonment. Verses 30 and 31 of Acts 28 says, He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So he was in prison, and yet part of the time he was in his own rented quarters, and he had every opportunity to share Christ. He did not lament the fact, oh, I'm here in Rome, I'm in prison, I don't have any freedom. No. He just looked at it as an opportunity to share Christ, and adversity does that. Adversity provides us with opportunities for witness. In her first book, Corey Tenboom told of her experience in Ravensbrook Prison during World War II. As she reflected on her own pain and suffering, she came to understand that one of God's purposes for her suffering was to benefit others. Listen to what she wrote. God had brought me here for a specific task. I was here to lead the sorrowing and the despairing to the Savior. I was to see how he comforted them. I was to point the way to heaven, to people among whom were many that would soon be dying. Now, Corey Ten Boom could have felt sorry for herself. 
but she didn't. She took that opportunity to share Christ. And there are people in heaven today because Corey Ten Boom was in a concentration camp under great suffering. And because she saw that as an opportunity to share Christ and to witness for him. Uh, Lieutenant Klebe McClary, I believe he was a, a graduate of, of the school I went to uh, prior to my being there, uh, was a Marine lieutenant, and he was in the war in Vietnam. And he uh, was the victim, let's say, of an enemy grenade exploding in his foxhole. And he wrote this, The Lord has used my experiences for good by drawing many lives to himself. Surely some seed was planted for Christ that cannot be stamped out. His body was ravaged because of what happened. And yet, he saw that as an opportunity to share Christ. So adversity promotes the progress of the gospel, and adversity provides opportunities for witness. Thirdly, verse 14, adversity produces courage in fellow believers. Notice what Paul writes. Most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul's imprisonment had an effect on his brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of them became confident and bold because they saw Paul's courage. Bravery is contagious, don't you think? So is fear. And there are a lot of negative things that are contagious. But there are some very positive things that are contagious. And one of them is bravery. When Paul was bold and courageous and brave to share his faith in Christ, this was contagious and others began to share the gospel as well. This past week, I, I read this. In 17th century England, George Fox and the Quakers were making their mark for the gospel, and hundreds were being converted to Christ. In the midst of the revival, while preaching at the castle of Carlisle in the north of England, George Fox was arrested on charges of blasphemy. After his trial, he was thrown into a filthy dungeon overrun with vermin and criminals. No one was allowed even a glimpse of him. Some who tried to bring him food were clubbed back by the jailers. But... 150 miles away, 16-year-old James Parnell, a physically handicapped young man, heard about Fox's situation and walked the 150 miles to the prison. Somehow, what I read was somehow, sovereignly, God allowed this. This man managed to get in, and he was never the same again. James Parnell left Carlisle Dungeon with Heart of Flame, and gave the rest of his life to Christ in the proclamation of the gospel. Now, why did that happen? Because a man by the name of George Fox was brave and shared his testimony about Christ, was charged with blasphemy, thrown into a jail. James Parnell heard about it, and he was affected by this man. And he became brave in sharing the gospel. In my own lifetime, I've read about and personally experienced uh, the infectious impact of people who have suffered courageously 
Many of you may have read or have heard about Paul Carlson. He was a missionary to the Congo. I, I remember reading his life story and how he died for his faith and for his witness for Christ. And I'll never forget, I don't know, uh, I don't remember the year. Uh, I know uh, I was uh, probably in junior high or somewhere around there. Um, Jim Elliott, a missionary to what was then called the Aka Indians in Ecuador, he and his companions lost their life taking the gospel to the Aka Indians. And uh, many of you have probably heard of Elizabeth Elliott. I had the privilege of meeting her and how she went back to these Indians and continued to share Christ. And many uh, who are a part of that tribe are, are true followers of Christ. But I can remember <clears throat> hearing about these missionaries and how they gave their life to Christ. And I know that as a young man, that impacted me. I can remember when I heard the news. I remember right where I was when I heard about it. And I thought, I want to give my life to missionary service. That was one of the things that really impacted me as a young boy. And then uh, Hope and I uh, have uh, good friends. They visited us in Spain one time. Hope went to school with the wife. Uh, they were very good friends and, uh, of Chet Bitterman. Uh, Chet Bitterman was also a graduate of where I went to school. Uh, he was a missionary to Colombia, South America, taken captive and martyred and gave his life for Christ. And these three, uh, Carlton, um, Elliot and his, his co-workers, and Chet Bitterman, God has used these people in my lifetime to cause others to be brave and to step out and to produce courage in the lives of fellow believers. And then fourthly and very quickly, adversity proves the character of friendship. Notice what Paul writes in verses 15 through 18. He's talking about the word of God going out without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. As Paul looked out upon the church, he saw some encouraging things, and he also saw some very discouraging things. And let's face it, when we look at the atmosphere within Christianity, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, we can see some very encouraging things, and we can see some very discouraging things. But Paul gets to the bottom line. And notice what he says here. You know, there are some people who are proclaiming Christ, and they do it just to make my life more miserable. That's what he says. And then he said there are others who are preaching Christ because... They love Christ, and they love me. And they see Paul as a true friend, and Paul sees them as true friends. He says here that the important thing is the message. These people are preaching what? Christ. <laughs> and so Paul says, hey, 
The message is getting out. And then he talks about the manner in which it's getting out. That's not always so good, Paul says. And the motives behind it aren't necessarily very good. He talks about some preaching Christ out of, notice, envy, strife, and selfish ambition. Man, where's that coming from? But Paul looks beyond that, and he says, the bottom line is this. Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice. And so, you know, as we look at the atmosphere within Christianity, again, throughout the states and the world, we can find some pretty negative things. And as we look at our government, we can see some pretty negative things. But you know what, folks? We still have freedom and liberty to proclaim the truth. Let's do that while we still have that opportunity. The day may come where we don't. It may. And that's when we will need to stand firm. But you know what? And I think this is probably an accurate statement. If we don't proclaim Christ when we have total freedom to do it, do you think we will when it might mean getting our heads lopped off? That's a fair question, don't you think? So adversity is not always bad. It's never enjoyable. But adversity can do certain things. And we see here, adversity promotes the progress of the gospel. Adversity provides opportunities for witness. Adversity produces courage in fellow believers. And adversity proves the character of friendship. And the whole topic here in these verses is the joy of adversity. Well, that's an oxymoron if I ever heard one. The joy of adversity? Well, maybe a definition of joy will help us as we conclude this morning. I've read this. I've altered it a little bit. But in essence... Biblical joy is the settled conviction that God sovereignly and lovingly and wisely controls the events of life for each and every believer's good and for his glory. Let me read that again. Joy is not, oh, I'm happy. Everything's wonderful. Life is cherries with no pits. That's not what joy is. That's happiness, which is based on what happens in our life. Joy is different. Biblical joy, the settled conviction that God sovereignly and lovingly and wisely controls the events of life for each and every believer's good and for his glory. Our responsibility is to submit to the Lord, even in the adversity, and express and convey true biblical joy. Settled conviction. God knows what he's doing. I can rest in him. He's a good God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Paul's testimony here. And we pray, Lord, that every day, 
we would be more and more like him. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, at this time, I'd like to have you share any praises and or prayer requests you'd like to share at this time. I have one, but I'd like to have you go first. <clears throat> 